0: All right, we can turn in our Bibles again to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16 uh, verses 1 through 7 we'll try to get through this morning as we see uh, uh, kind of a new phase here in our study of Revelation. As we move into the next series of judgments, it becomes very obvious that sin has consequences. That's the title of of our message today as the wrath of God uh, will continue to be poured out in this tribulation period, but we see a, a really an exponential increase in the level of judgment that is being poured out here in this latter part of the tribulation period. And it's still uh, this could be this could be in the distant future. It could be a matter of oh four or five years into the future. Uh, nevertheless, it's the the principles that we can take away from this are still obviously very very relevant to us today as Christian people who are not living in the tribulation period. This ought to affect the way that we live especially the way that we live as believers in Christ. So we find ourselves in this, uh, really this uh, ending section of the book of Revelation, basically broken into three parts uh, based on Revelation one nineteen. John was to write the things which he has seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things, essentially, Chapter 1 being the vision of the risen Christ, the one who is giving this revelation. The things which are messages to the churches that uh, it's been a while since we studied those, but if you'll remember, they had very relevant topics to uh, each and every one of us, to churches that exist today, let alone churches that exist 2,000 years ago. Those are literal letters to churches. They're not describing world history or some of these other kind of theories that are out there. They're they're letters written to churches with application to our lives today. And now we find ourselves, which is really the majority of the book, talking about mostly this future tribulation period and then what is going to be the result of that. Now, of course, we're still embedded in this tribulation period. I forgot to update that slide. Oh, that's too bad. The uh, tribulation period in Revelation. We're actually, we're not in the bowls being introduced anymore. We're down here in the bowl judgments being poured out. Last time we saw in, in chapter 15 kind of this preparation for the bold judgments to be poured out. We saw the angels come forward who, who are going to administer these judgments to the earth. Of course, they're coming from God, but he's using these angels to pour out the wrath. There was great praise that broke out because we are getting to the conclusion of this really this sinful world that we are living in we are seeing it being taken from the clutches of satan given to jesus christ so that we can experience life the way that we ought that it was created to be and then finally we saw the presentation of these bowls to the angels who are going to pour out the wrath of god and the fact that this temple, the temple in heaven filled with smoke being symbolic of the fact that now this is it. There is no turning back from at this point in time. And that God is uh, fully, not that He isn't fully committed, but just to now that He's not committed to this. But at that point in time, the temple becomes full of smoke. To indicate that to give us the picture that, yes, in fact, this is going to happen. There's no stopping it now. And we've seen uh, several times this slide, that really this this is uh, the three main parts of the tribulation that we know for sure. Uh, Well, four, really, that based on a literal interpretation the church of Jesus Christ, those who have trusted in him will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, return to the Father's house during this seven year tribulation period. All those who have trusted in Christ over the last 2,000 years of the church age will be uh, resurrected and raptured to heaven to be with the Lord. And then the three things that we know for absolute certain about the tribulation period are that it begins with the first seal. The false prophet will set up an image of the Antichrist at the midpoint of the tribulation requiring the world to worship that image known as the abomination of desolation in the temple in Jerusalem. That it at the three and a half year point of the seven year tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ will come again to establish his kingdom on the earth. And what we're studying now are these bold judgments that I personally believe will happen during the second half of the tribulation, what Jesus called in the Olivet Discourse the Great Tribulation. Because as we have seen, we only read about four, well I guess we read uh, six of the bold judgments. These are on a a scale that is exponentially higher than what we've already uh, been exposed to. This is the great tribulation that is being described here. And that's all, this is being poured out because sin has consequences. This morning we'll see a voice coming from heaven We'll see the vials actually being poured out and we'll see the reason why these things are happening is the vengeance of God is, is being carried out upon this uh, earth that has essentially rejected Him. So we begin with the voice. Notice Revelation 16 in verse 1 again it says, "...then I heard a loud voice from the temple..." saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. A loud voice from the temple is what is described here. And it uses uh, for that term loud in the NASB it uses the Greek term mega which is uh, a term that we're obviously familiar with. Sometimes we even say that now. Oh, that that uh, whatever it was, that vacation was mega or whatever, and it means that it's great, and that's what is being described here. And that term is used is used quite often in Revelation, but it tends to show up more here beginning in verse uh, chapter 16 and through 17 and 18. It's a very prominent word, this word great. And that is also an indication to us that now we're studying the great tribulation, the second half of this tribulation period. In fact, it occurs 11 times in, in just chapter 16 alone. But this voice from the temple is the voice of God the Father. We've seen that He is the one who is residing inside of this temple. That's why the, the Holy of Holies was so important uh, in the temple days because that, in the first temple anyway, is actually where God was residing As in terms of the Holy Spirit at any rate. He was there the, the only person who was allowed into that place was the high priest during in fact the time of year in which we are uh, in right now. It was the only time he was allowed into that place if he uh, anyone went in there at any other time they would die immediately uh, just from being in the presence of God. And then we have his voice I mean there there. <laughs> There, are a lot, there is great power held in a voice, as a drill instructor could tell you, or uh, these kinds of things, you can affect people with your voice. And of course, that is very true with God the Father, as is evident from uh, the times that we have in the scriptures when God the Father is speaking, particularly to the Israelite people. In Exodus chapter 19, we, and 19 and 20 we get an indication of that or a time when God spoke. Uh, Exodus 19 before the giving of the law says now uh, verse 18, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Very reminiscent of what we saw in chapter 15 in the temple in heaven. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. That's going to be an event that gets your attention if you are, if you are there. And then the law was given. If you'll remember, God is the one who spoke the Ten Commandments to the Israelite people In literally, so like if you had your recording device I've mentioned before, and you could uh, hold up your phone with the voice memo app going back when God gave the law, you could record the voice of God as He was doing that. And after that was over, Exodus 20 and verse 18, all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. God's voice came to the people in this dramatic fashion so that, primarily for the purpose so that they would not sin. So they would remember this and it would affect them in a positive Manner. It wasn't meant to scare them. Oh, we don't want anything to do with God. No, it was meant to be an event that stuck with them so that they wouldn't sin against him. And here we kind of see a similar event taking place. These judgments are being poured out on the world and make no mistake, they are awful. They are unimaginable, these things that we will get to even today this absolutely unimaginable devastation to the world and people, the entirety of the creation. And they're not meant to scare us. They're not meant to make us think, oh, I, I hate God. I, how, could, how could a loving God do this kind of thing? No, they are meant to drive us to remember the consequences of sin, of our Sin, of our seemingly little insignificant lives, uh, sin in our quote-unquote insignificant lives has tremendous consequences, and we should be reminded of that when we study these sorts of passages. And then the voice comes from the temple and says, go and pour out on the earth the seven bulls of the wrath of God. Both of those, the terms go and pour are both imperatives, they're commands, they're present active imperatives or commands to these angels. The voice of God commanding these angels to pour them out. And the fact that it's a present active imperative kind of implies that this is, this is what these angels were created for this is their their duty. This is what they were really made to be doing. And we'll see that this is uh, well. We'll get to the other part first. First off, the wrath is deserved. That becomes very obvious as we make our way through this passage. But there are other passages that use similar language, Psalm 79 being one of them. We'll just read verses 6 and 7. Psalm 79 says, this is a a psalm from Asaph, if I remember correctly. Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you, and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. This is a, a prayer that the nations who have oppressed Israel would have God's wrath poured out upon them. Well, Asaph, uh, that's going to happen. It's going to happen in the tribulation period. Psalm 79, verses 9 and 10 Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us, and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in your sight vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. And then we know that this, or well, we can compare this wrath being poured out uh, to what is poured out upon us as believers and what will be poured out upon the nation of Israel in the future when they trust in Christ as their Messiah. And that is the Holy Spirit. This, uh, God is not uh, capricious here. This isn't just some kind of random pouring out of wrath. There's a reason for it, that these people in this world has rejected him rather than those who accept him have his Holy Spirit poured out <laughs> upon them which actually our proverb from Sunday school, we didn't get to it this morning, but it says exactly the same thing as this passage. Those who reject God, reject the truth, have wrath poured out on them. Those who accept God, accept His truth, accept what Christ did for us on the cross, have, their holy, have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. And what becomes very clear from the Bible is that there is this great wrath poured out first and then the kingdom comes. We are not living in the kingdom as described in the Bible in any way, shape, or form on this earth today. That that ought to be very clear to us. In spite of the the uh, high energy church services and the kingdom work and the kingdom people and the kingdom this and the kingdom that talk that is so prevalent in the church today, th- this isn't the kingdom. The Bible makes very clear that there is wrath and then the kingdom comes. Zephaniah is a book that is completely dedicated to that Principle. The fact that there will be great wrath then God in the person of Jesus Christ will come and dwell among people in the kingdom the way that it's promised to us in the Bible. Zephaniah 3.8, therefore wait for me declares the Lord for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, To pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger. That hasn't happened yet. There's still a lot of nations in this world who don't really care about God. In fact, they're doing everything they can to, to go against him. For all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. All the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. For then I will give to the, the people's purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. Wrath poured out, then kingdom. Then these purified lips that are described there in kingdom. Wrath, then kingdom. Not uh, just a generic idea of a kingdom and, oh, the kingdom's in our hearts, didn't you know? No, God created the world very good. God created the world to be a place of perfect communion and uh, face-to-face communication with God for God to dwell in the midst of his creation with his people but he can only do that in a world that doesn't have sin. At the, at the instant that Adam sinned, that was taken away. That was shattered. A curse was put upon this earth. And God can't live and dwell here in perfect fellowship with people until that is eradicated. And it is going to take this incredible wrath to be poured out for that to happen. So next we see the vials being uh, poured out beginning in verse 2 of Revelation 16. It says, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his Image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. So these bulls, uh, bold judgments are portrayed as happening in, in kind of rapid fire succession like one right after the next but as we've seen it's probably uh, in reality going to happen over a period of time it's not like oh on uh, Monday they get the sores on Tuesday everything in the ocean dies and on Wednesday uh, all the all the rivers uh, turn to blood. If there's going to be a progression of time, uh, it would seem quite obviously uh, for these things to happen. In this first bowl, judgment is this malignant sore. This uh, loathsome and malignant sore is poured out on them. So what is being described here is not uh, necessarily some kind of cancer or something like that, but it more likely would be some sort of a very painful, unhealing sore. Different from what we uh, saw in the trumpet judgments, the fifth trumpet was, if you'll remember, the releasing of this, these demonic locusts that were able to afflict man with some sort of pain Painful sting for a five month a five month period. No, this is this is different. This is this doesn't end uh, at a, at a certain period of time, and it is being poured out on all of those who uh, will who took the mark of the beast. If we'll notice uh, verse two, who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. So this is essentially what is in other places referred to as the earth dwellers, those who have not trusted in Christ, uh, those who who are not believing but instead are taking the mark of the beast as a sign of the worship of Satan and the Antichrist. They're worshiping the image that was set up in the temple. They are fully committed to the side of Satan, so much so that they're willing to be marked in a sign of worship to him. And God is saying here kind of in a way, oh, okay, you want to be marked? Well, how about this mark? How about these uh, malignant, loathsome, malignant sores being uh, poured out on, on the people? Uh, next there is the second the second bowl, of course, verse three. The second bowl is poured into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. I uh this week flew to Puerto Rico uh from Baltimore. You spend a lot of time over the ocean on uh, my side of the plane looking out on the way down there. It's ocean as far as you can. See, even at 40,000 feet, you can't see to England. <laughs> it's uh, quite quite vast. And then we flew from there all the way to Denver, which was kind of a very unusual uh, thing to do. That's not a scheduled flight, but because of the hurricane, there's all kinds of cancellations. So we got to fly six hours from Puerto Rico to Denver. And we flew across Florida and again out over the Gulf of Mexico. And I'm thinking about. This passage, wow that is that is a lot of water that is being turned to blood, and every living thing in the sea is dying in this, and we 'll get uh more into that uh, later as we compare these trumpet t- these judgments to the trumpet judgments, but the ocean blood. I, and the other thing that I thought about as I was flying over the ocean this week was the audacity of the climate uh, alarmists. That they they seem to be so concerned with the creation, but yet completely spurning the creator who is so obviously revealed uh, in the creation. They supposedly care uh, so much about the creation, but yet reject the creator. It doesn't really make much sense to me. But here in this judgment, God is going to show them who is actually in charge of this creation. You know, we we uh, we harvest the energy from the sun that God created. We Take the, the fish out of the ocean that God created for us. We can create electricity from the water and the rivers that God uh formed for us, but yet we don't uh we don't care in, in large uh part. But this this disaster, this second judgment is is incomprehensible to me. I'm not a meteorologist, but I've studied um, weather in the past, had to uh, for various classes. But one thing that I do know is that uh, people driving cars and diesel trucks doesn't affect the, the weather nearly as much as the ocean does. The, the weather and the climate that we experience here on the Earth today is almost exclusively... Controlled by what's going on in the ocean, like the whole evaporation cycle. (laughs) There's a lot of water out in that ocean. It evaporates, goes up in the clouds, and falls on the earth as rain and water that eventually we drink. And so, what happens when all of that turns to blood? Does Mm -hmm. it still evaporate? Does it now evaporate and rain blood? This is incomprehensible uh, disaster on an unimaginable magnitude that is going to happen to the earth. And then, to make matters worse, the third bowl happens at some point in time. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. You know, we think that, oh, we just turn on the faucet and the water comes out and it's all good. Well, that, that water... It comes from somewhere. It either comes from some some fresh water source or a spring in the ground, a river, the Great Lakes. It's coming from somewhere, and when it is all turned to blood, you turn on the faucet. What happens? What happens then? I'm not. I'm not entirely. Not entirely sure. Are you going to be able to filter it and, and then be able to drink it? Uh, yeah, boy, I'm not sure. As we're going to see, the Egyptians uh, back in the Exodus time, these judgments are very similar. In fact, let's just go to it now. Tribulation judgments versus the Exodus judgments. These similar kinds of events took place back in the Exodus time, when God was delivering his people from the uh, God-rejecting Egyptians and the captivity that they were in into the promised land, into, quote-unquote, the kingdom. Here, in Revelation, as we've mentioned before, God is taking the entire world, delivering it from the evil grip of Satan into the actual kingdom that is promised in his word. And he uses similar judgments. They're not the same. Those judgments literally took place. There, there aren't too many uh, Bible people, if you will, who don't think that those plagues and things that happened to Egypt literally took place. They did. They are described by uh Moses as taking place, and they they literally took place there's evidence you can find uh evidence that supports these judgments literally taking place so that that is a great indication to us that these judgments in the future are also literally going to take place just as they did in the Exodus times. Exodus 7 verses 20-25, through the the river Nile turns to blood and uh, that became an issue. Obviously the Egyptians were very reliant upon the Nile River for their drinking water, for watering their crops. Uh, It describes there in Exodus 7 that they were able to dig on the side of the river to get some water to be able to drink. Not so in the third judgment, according to what it says there. All rivers and springs turn to blood. So the people, I'm sure, will be thinking, oh, we'll just dig down, get down into the water table and it'll be fine. Not in the tribulation period. All water is going to be turned to blood. The Egyptian magicians were able to do some sort of trick to make the water look as if it had turned to blood, so, ah, Pharaoh, ah, I'm not worried about that one. Then they were afflicted with boils, very similar to what we see here in the bowl judgments. They had malignant sores, it says there, in with the first judgment, Revelation 16, 2, they are poneros uh, sores or evil sores is essentially the the adjective that is used there it 's similar to leprosy, not exactly the same but similar uh, to them leviticus fourteen forty four uses similar language uh, the a similar judgment happened to the to the uh, Egyptians, that they that God brought boils to them that were painful and these kinds of things. The magicians weren't able to duplicate that one, but they still, the Egyptians, Pharaoh in particular, still rejected God and refused to uh, let his people go. As opposed to this person, Job, who was a historical person who lived, who had these uh, horrible events happened to him, he, on the other hand, had a proper reaction to uh, these sorts of uh, things happening in his life. In Job 42 verses 1 through 6, essentially, he said, uh, after everything had happened to him, I repent in dust and ashes. I turn from thinking I have all the answers to understanding that you, God, Creator have all the answers to uh, the problems that are going on in this world and I recognize that. Uh, He had introspection. He turned to the Lord rather than his own uh, human thinking. These people in the tribulation period are going to have the exact opposite reaction as we saw in our scripture reading that we'll get to Next time, that they did not repent, verse 9, so as to give him glory. Verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. They did not change their minds about the wickedness of their deeds, about worshiping Satan, about being completely opposed to the God of the universe. And again, the, the, the judgments are similar because God is doing something similar uh, that he did in the Exodus time to uh, what he is going to do in the future. And that's if you'll remember Revelation fifteen three, why they sang the song of Moses, because this is going to remind the people of what God did in the future tribulation period or in the future tribulation period, it's going to remind the people of what he did in the past. And something to take away from this is that the bull judgments are not the same as the trumpet judgments. Uh, this is not uh, what is known as recapitulation. This is not again describing the entire seven year period. That is that is a view that is not based on a literal interpretation of the Scriptures. Now, there are some people who uh, are dispensationalists who will say, yes, I'm using a literal interpretation, but uh, I'm sorry, uh, you're not. First off, the first trumpet, if you'll remember, was hail and fire and all of the green grass was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up in the first trumpet now it would if this was just redescribing the seven year period in the trumpets and the bowls well the first bowl ought to be something similar to do with the green grass being burned up and a third of the trees being burned up but in fact the first bowl is a malignant sore Malignant, loath, loathsome sore being poured out on people, an unhealing sore. Now you could say, "Well, this is just describing another part of this." Uh, that it's describing something different. Well, okay, you could say that. But what about the second trumpet and the second bowl? Now there are some similarities here. This is when it, uh, the 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 judgments that the people will point to. Oh, see, these are exactly the same. It's describing the same thing. Oh, what was the second trumpet? Some sort of meteor or something falling into the ocean that turned the ocean to blood and destroyed a bunch of ships, right? Oh, the second bowl. Verse 3, Revelation 16, the angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. Not a third, every, not a third of the oceans, not just the Atlantic Ocean or not just the Pacific Ocean, all of the oceans, it says there in verse 4. And not just a third of every living thing in the sea dying, but every living thing in the sea dying. All, the Greek term there is pas, P-A-S, all things in the ocean. That would be uh, an indication to us that all of the oceans are turning to blood and everything in the ocean is dying, not just one third. And then the third trumpet in the third uh bowl judgment. Again, similar but not the same. Here again a star uh falls to the earth with the and it was called wormwood and a third of the rivers turn to blood. Again, uh same same concept here in verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. All of them became blood. Every river, every spring, every source of fresh water turns to blood with the third Bold judgment. This is a great indication that the that the judgments are increasing in intensity as we go through the seven year period to finally get to the end of this judgment. It is it's a massive crescendo, if you will, of judgment and increasing in intensification. That's why Christ calls it the Great Tribulation after the abomination of desolation that he described there in Matthew 24, uh, 15 and following. Abomination of desolation, then great tribulation. We are seeing great tribulation being poured out here in these uh, bull judgments. And we see that this is, in fact, the vengeance of God being poured out upon the world. Now, vengeance is an interesting topic, but Revelation 16 and verse 5 says, And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Notice first that angel of the waters. That's kind of interesting. That means there's an angel of the waters. Uh, in addition to what we have already seen, there were, if you'll remember, Revelation 7, there were four angels of, who sort of had control over the winds. There was an angel of the abyss, Revelation 9:11, there's even an angel of fire in Revelation 14 and 18, and now we have a, an angel of the waters here in Revelation 16. And in verse five, there, there are essentially angels over the elements, the main elements of the world, of the creation, the winds, the earth, the fire, and now also uh, the waters. And we had, and we see here, uh, it was a reminder again, kind of uh, timely, that this angel of the waters is the one making this statement as there is great power in the waters. I saw a video of people, it was the most incredibly, incredibly dumb thing that I think I've seen a person do in a long time this past week in Florida, video of these people going out into the ocean right under a pier. I mean, there were cement pylons bigger than this. I mean, you couldn't get your arms around this thing at all. And they're standing right next to this thing and the waves are crashing in and they're getting pushed into into these cement pylons. And I, you know, I read earlier today that they found 42 people dead from this hurricane. And it was just making me think, well, were those two of the people who died in this thing? I mean, just not uh, using your brains. Water is very powerful. There is uh, immense power wrapped up in the ocean. That's what a hurricane is, in fact. The power of the ocean being sucked up into the air and then dumped Onto the land. Incredible, incredible power. And it would seem here from this uh, passage that there is an angel of the waters. It doesn't seem that there is. There is one. Verse 5 I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you. A- and this is what qualifies God to be the judge. He is righteous, he is without sin, he is just. He is innocent. He's not like you and me. Keep that. Keep these uh, attributes of God in mind when you're thinking in terms of vengeance. He is also eternal. It says there uh, in verse five. Righteous are you who are and who were. God has always existed. He's eternal. He's not a creature. He is the Creator. And that's why in Exodus 3.14 he refers to himself, to Moses, as I am. I am, I am. I have always been. I am now. I always will be. He is the eternal God. That qualifies him to pour out vengeance and wrath on people. And he is also holy. Oh holy one, it says in verse 5. He is separated from this world. He is not of this world. You and I are from this world. We are created to live in this world. God is not that way. Yes, he is in the creation. He even came in to live in the creation as the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ, but he is also separate from the creation. That's what makes God different than than you and me. He is in the creation, but he's also outside of the creation. He's holy. He's separated from this world. So that is what qualifies him to judge. That is what qualifies him to pour out his vengeance, his wrath on this earth. Now, there are a couple of Bible verses that every skeptic knows and one of them is oh, you shouldn't judge you're not allowed to judge and uh they use it in a way that makes it okay for them or somebody else to sin essentially and that is not that is not at all what we are what we are talking about here of course we are to use discernment and we can as described in the scriptures, point out sin to, to people, particularly in our own family, in our, in our own children. I mean, let's just think about this idea of quote-unquote judging when it comes to our children as parents. Uh, are we not permitted to tell our child when he's doing something wrong? Because, oh, don't judge. That, of course, is... Is ridiculous when you see uh, somebody that you love who is doing something wrong. You ought to have the desire to point that out to them because, after all, sin has consequences. So when you you have a loved one, a, a a family member, a child, a person in your church that you know is involved in some sort of sin. Uh, Yeah, you can do that. and You can point that out to them in a loving way that uh, is edifying to them. So yeah, that's not what this is. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about here Uh, when it comes to judging in terms of what the Bible verse says that we're not supposed to do. It's talking about this. Pouring out wrath on people, condemning people because of the sin that's, that is in their life and pouring out wrath on them. God is the one who is qualified to do that. Not you and not me. Why is God doing this? Verse 6, for they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. They killed the people of God. If you'll remember the fifth seal judgment way back to the beginning of the tribulation period, uh, the fifth seal judgment was this incredible martyrdom that's going on in the world. Keeping in mind, according to Revelation 13, every person who wouldn't take the mark is going to die. Now, there are still those who don't die Uh, somehow they are protected. We see that in Revelation 12, that God is going to provide some sort of protection for people who are believing in Him. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every person is going to be protected. In fact, I would say the majority are not going to be under that supernatural protection of God in this period, and they're going to pay for it with their lives. Uh, And that is what we see happening here. Uh, That this vengeance is being poured out because they deserved it. There's our Revelation 6, 16 through 17. Uh, And I messed up the other one. So uh, Luke, they deserve it. Luke 11, 47 through 51. These are the words of Jesus himself if you'll remember, to the Pharisees, Luke 11 and verse 47 uh, where it says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute. So the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar uh, and the house of God, yes I tell you it shall be charged against this generation. Uh, And also uh, Revelation 13 and verse 12 we saw that this Antichrist exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. They, they deserve God's judgment because of their killing of the people of God and they're according to revelation 13:12 their complete rejection of God and instead worshiping Satan this is why God is judging the people and so so what what can we uh conclude from this why why does this matter to us, what's going to happen in the future? Well, the fact of the matter is that sin has consequences. Sin is going to bring eternal death to unbelievers. Revelation 20 and verse 15. After the tribulation period takes place, after the kingdom period takes place, the thousand years are over. Then people, every person who has not believed in God will be judged. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire. Sin has eternal consequences for us. Sin has not just eternal consequences, but it also has consequences for us in our daily lives. Lives. Uh, It has uh, consequences not just for unbelievers but also believers, as we mentioned in our communion service. Uh, It's anxiety, stress, uh, strained relationship with God strained relationship with our loved ones all of this is caused from sin because after all as Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death that's what we we earn essentially when we sin against God we earn death and that doesn't just just mean physical death it doesn't just mean eternal separation from God, but it also means death like right now, a, a, a ceasing of uh, carrying out the way life is supposed to be, that, that our life is separated from its purpose as believers. As believers, we are here to live and serve the Lord. When we are living in sin, we are by definition separated from that purpose and that is essentially what death is. And that's uh, also what Paul talks about in our uh, communion passage that we read this morning also. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. these people were sick. Some of them had even died because they were participating in the communion table with sin in their lives. So sin has consequences in your life and my life as a believer. And so we as the Israelites back in the days of Exodus are reminded of the power of God, his uh, hatred of sin, and uh, by this event, like God speaking to the people from Mount Sinai, we're reminded of that again here in Revelation 16 in these future unimaginable judgments that are going to take place because of sin in this world. We're also reminded that vengeance is the Lord's. It is not ours. Uh, Paul made that point in Romans 12 verses 16 through 21 after uh, the book of Romans, just an incredible book. He's described why we need to be saved, how we need to be saved, the benefits of, of the Holy Spirit being in our life Uh, and the past, present, and future of the nation of Israel, okay, now so what? what? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, one of those areas we see in verse 16 of Romans 12, he says since all of these other things are true, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That is quite a tall task that we are called to. But it, as it, so it depends on you. In other words, you make the decision to be at peace with people, Verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when somebody does something wrong to you at work, uh, well, don't figure out a way to get them back. Allow the Lord to uh, take care of you and to take care Of the situation is kind of the the application. And you can apply that to your life uh, wherever wherever it is uh, happening to you personally. Also, Romans 10 or uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 26 For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. And the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and is regarded as unclean, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and was and has insulted the spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So that is a a tremendous reminder to us of the fact that God hates sin and he's going to judge sin And this ought to affect the way that we live our lives today as we see this incredible judgment being poured out on the world in the future. So we've seen the voice coming from heaven, the vials being poured out in the vengeance of God. And may we be uh, reminded of this unimaginable future that the world faces in the future, and may it drive us to be uh, faithful to Him today. Let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the book of Revelation, this ancient text that reveals so much about the future but has so much to say to us today in our daily lives. I pray that You would impress upon our minds the, uh, the importance of the confession of sin, the importance of walking by faith in you so that we will not sin against you. And I just pray that we would be grateful for your provision, the provision of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we can have through faith in him. And also, of course, the provision of the Holy Spirit for us as believers. And I pray that we would walk worthy of what you have done for us, always remembering the Uh, terrifying expectation of judgment for sinning against you. And may you do that work in our lives to, uh, to an extra degree in these days to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.